The book of Jonah, uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to go there. We will put it on the screen, particularly for those of you who are watching the broadcast uh, back home. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to read through Jonah. Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, "'What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God.' Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord. Have, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your ways and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pray regard the vain idols Forsake those who pay regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I 
with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout all Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, heed nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said would, he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This, that, it, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat in the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what it would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come over Jonah that he might have a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And when dawn had came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you, well, do you do well to be angry for the plant? He said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And there's the book ends on the cliffhanger. And we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Well, I've invited you to go to Jonah, the book of Jonah. And so there's, um, we're not going to, we're going to look through Jonah 1, and the main text is going to be through verse 16 is where we're going to look at. I'm not going to take time to, to read it again because I just read it, but I did want to show you this map and, and um, just to kind of give you an idea of, of what is going on in the book of Jonah. Uh, you'll see there that uh, down over here where you see where that letter A is there by Israel and 
And um, what's not on that map that typically would be on there to give you some geographical markers would be uh, like the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, those are not on there, uh, but they would be kind of where the R in Israel would be, maybe just over to the left and down just a little bit. We know from 2 Kings that Jonah was from uh, that city, Gath-Hefer, um, and you can see where that's in relationship to Jerusalem and then Joppa. Um, the, the, the call to go for Jonah was to go to Nineveh, which is, and you can't see it on the map there, but that's right on the Tigris River. So if you look at a map of that area in the Fertile Crest of Mesopotamia, you'll find that there's those two rivers, the Euphrates River and the Tigris River. Nineveh is right on the Tigris River there, and so that's where he was supposed to go um, up there. But you know that instead of doing that, he went over to Joppa, which you see underneath that ship, uh, that little sailboat icon there. And so he wanted to go to Tarshish. Now, we don't know for sure where Tarshish is. Most biblical scholars will agree that they think it was in that southern part of Spain there. Um, they think that that was a port city right there, and that's where he was heading to go. Um, there's some evidence of that, but we're not 100% certain on that. But you can see, though, that what he was trying to do was he was trying to get far, far away. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been tempted to run away. I don't know if you've ever been tempted to get away from a circumstance. But let me rephrase that. I know you have been tempted to run away. I know you have been tempted to get away from a circumstance, right? I mean, all of us have at some point. And so as I began to read this stuff, but when, when, we, when you look at the book of Jonah, you, you have to understand that he's a prophet, okay? You have to understand that, that this was something that he was, was supposed to be doing, and yet he runs away. And so we have to ask the question, Why? We have to ask the question, why did Jonah, instead of going the shortest uh, uh, trip to Nineveh, went on a very long journey uh, or attempted to get to Tarshish? Why did he do that? Why was he tempted to run from this mission of mercy? And so that's the question I want to hopefully answer in this sermon today. And this is, this, this is the main point that I want to get across, is that we are tempted to run from God's mission of mercy because it is a dangerous calling. We are tempted to run from God's mission of mercy because it is a dangerous calling. And we're going to pack that in two different ways. We're going to see it in, in one way. We're going to see because it is about our personal pride, that our personal pride is assaulted when we engage in a mercy mission from God. But then there's also personal safety may be compromised. And so those are the two ways that we're going to unpack this one statement here this morning, that we are tempted to run from God's mission of mercy because it is a dangerous calling. First of all, because personal pride will be assaulted. You got to understand that this is one of the reasons why Jonah considered this too dangerous for him to be involved with. This was a mission of mercy that he did not want to get involved with because there was some personal pride at stake here. And it was more than what he was willing to, uh, to, to give up. And it comes in two ways. You know, first of all, intellectually, Jonah's intellect, this plan simply did not make sense. 
This was something that as Jonah looked and heard the message from God to go to Nineveh, it just didn't make sense. And it's kind of lost on us as we look back on this, somewhat anachronistically, as we look back and we see how is it that, that this didn't make sense? Because for you and me to think about this, we think, well, of course it makes sense. He's a prophet. This is what he's supposed to do. It's like me getting upset if I have to preach a sermon on Sunday. It's what I do, right? You know, but, but here it didn't make sense to him. Why? Number one, it was because Nineveh was a bad city. I'm going to describe that here in just a few minutes here, but, but Nineveh was a bad, bad city. I mean, their wickedness had come up before the Lord. We see that here. But historically, we understand that this was a bad city, and they should be judged. And, and they were the enemy of Israel. And so Jonah understands this intellectually. He says, why in the world would you show mercy to people who are not your people, God? Why in the world would you show mercy the people who are terrible? But more than that, Nahum and Zephaniah had already predicted the destruction of Nineveh. So Jonah says, wait a minute here. You've already said they're going to be destroyed. Why are you telling me to go preach mercy to them? It just didn't make sense to him. And so his solution was, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go. And I wonder how many times when things, when God asked us to do something, when we, it just doesn't make sense to us. I wonder how many times we feel like we reserve the right to go to Tarshish. I wonder how many times we feel like we have the authority to say, God, it doesn't make sense. And so I don't have to do it. You see, that's where Jonah was. You see, Jonah should have learned. You see, you know, Jonah, he, he would have known the story of Abraham, right? He would have known about Abraham. Can you think of a time where God asked Abraham to do something that did not make sense? What about offering Isaac? Remember that story? Remember it back when we read about this in the beginning part of the Old Testament, we see that God had told Abraham, he says, I want you to go and I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, I want you to go sacrifice him. That didn't make any sense at all. I mean, it, 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 was, it was against what had already been said, right? Very similar to, to Jonah with Nineveh. It, it had already been said that Nineveh would be destroyed. Why would I go against that? But the word was clear to Jonah and the word was clear to Abraham. You'll remember the story. You'll remember that he goes and he goes and he takes his son and he starts to go up onto the mountain. And, and, and his son says, you know, we, we've, got, we've got everything we need for the sacrifice except one thing, what we're supposed to sacrifice. And he says, well, God will provide. And, and, and you know, when we, 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 he takes his son up there and, and, he, and he gets ready to sacrifice his son, which is abhorrent, even the thought of that. And then, of course, God intervenes and says, no, that is not what I'm really asking to do. I have a different plan, and he provided something else. You know, Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews gives us some insight into Abraham's heart during that time. He really believed that if he were to sacrifice his son, he believed that God would raise him from the dead. He said, God, he, if he's going to ask me to do this, he's going to have a greater plan than I can even imagine. And so I'm just going to trust God in this. And it was very difficult. 
You see, that's what Jonah should have done. That's what Jonah, he should have gone back to the example of Abraham. And he should have said, you know, this doesn't make sense, but I'm still going to believe God. I'm still going to obey God. I'm still going to trust God. I'm still going to do what he's asked me to do. And so I wonder, though, how many times that we are like Jonah rather than Abraham when something just doesn't make sense. Something seems like it's too hard. It seems like it's unrealistic what God has asked us to do. We say, well, I'm going to go to Tarshish. I'm not going to do that. You know, Abraham's faith was counter for righteousness, and Abraham's faith, Abraham became a person that God has said that we need to follow. And so let me encourage us that as God is asking us to be partners and part of his ministry of mercy to a world that is hurting, it's sometimes there's going to be things that are difficult. Sometimes there are going to be things that even don't make sense. But we do not reserve the right to say, I'm going to Tarshish instead. Abraham believed God. Abraham obeyed God. Jonah's intellect got in his way. Jonah says it just doesn't make sense. But there was another part about Jonah, and that was his identity. And this was the reason why his personal pride was being assaulted. He says, well, this doesn't make sense to me, but also it was, do you know who I am? And, and parenthetically, if you're ever in a situation where you see this, like, you know, if you're uh, uh, in, a, in an airport or something like that, and then, you know, you hear someone at the ticket counter and their, their seat has been bumped or whatever like that, if they ever use the phrase, do you know who I am? That means they're nobody, okay? All right? Um, um, but the point is, is that he had this a little bit in him, right? Do you know who I am? Do you, he, it, when they asked who he was, he leads with, in verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. Uh, and he fears the Lord. Now, your Hebrew scholars, uh, they will tell us that, that what he was highlighting here was his main point was the problem that he was saying, first and foremost, I am a Hebrew. And it was a, it was a nationalistic pride that he had. And, and later on, we know that because that's the reason why he didn't think Nineveh should be recipients of mercy. Do you remember in chapter 4 when, I, when, when we read, do you remember when I read this earlier, he says, after they repent, any other prophet would have been happy. Jeremiah, who was told that people would refuse to listen to him, that he was going to preach and nobody was going to listen to him. They, he, God told Jeremiah, you got to go and preach, but no one's going to listen to you. Don't you think Jeremiah would have been happy to have one sermon like this where people actually listen to him? Jonah had this. He goes and he's kind of disgruntled and he just goes and he says, okay, you got to make you repent. Otherwise, God's going to destroy this place. And people actually listen to him. And he's angry. How in the world could he be angry about this? Well, he says, that's why I told you. That's why I left. This is chapter 4, verse 2. This is why I left, because I knew you were gracious and merciful. What is he saying? He's saying, I knew that you would do this. I knew that if you were going to ask me to go to these people, they would listen. I knew that you are powerful enough, God, that you will show mercy and kindness to these people, and these people do not deserve it. That's what he was saying. He's saying, my people deserve it. My people deserve your love and favor. My people deserve uh, blessings from you. But those people, no. Those people don't deserve that. See, his identity. He says, I knew that you would save. And I wonder if we often have a hard time showing mercy to other people or other groups or organizations, other religions, because we simply think they don't deserve it. I wonder how, many, how much of that is in our hearts. 
I dare say it's probably more than what we'd like to admit. You see, um, we have, we will have no problem showing mercy to others if we primarily see ourselves as someone who desperately needs God's mercy in order to live. You see, that was Jonah's problem. He didn't think that he needed God's mercy. It was almost like, well, of course God would bless me. And for those of us who have, have grown up in Christian homes, and what a, what a huge blessing that is, and, and I'm so grateful for that. And, and it, it, but sometimes we lose the sight of that we are real recipients of mercy. It's almost like, well, yes, God has saved me from my sins, and yes, I'm going to heaven. And there's almost an implicit or underlying attitude of, well, of course God would do that. I mean, heaven just wouldn't be like as good as it could be if I wasn't there, right? Now, no one's going to say that, right? But think about it. I mean, would heaven still be perfect? Would heaven still be good if I wasn't there? Well, of course it would be. It's only by grace. It's only by mercy that I get to be there. It's only by grace and mercy that I get to have a relationship with God. It's only by grace and mercy that he listens to me when I pray. Do you realize that God, who is huge, who says he makes the earth his footstool, the God who speaks things into existence, the God who cannot lie, the God who is perfect, the God who is all-powerful, this God hears you when you pray to him. And we act like, well, of course he does. Why wouldn't he? As if God is so privileged to have me in his family. You see, this was Jonah's problem. Jonah had lost sight of the fact that he was himself was a recipient of God's abundant mercy. And when we see ourselves of that, that we see that the reason I have breath today, the reason why I am looking at you in this room and you through the camera is because God has been merciful to me. He's shown great grace. Jonah forgot that. Let us not forget that. Let us not forget that our heart is beating this very second purely because of the mercy of God. And the air that I am breathing is the mercy of God. And the clean water that we drink is the mercy of God. And the health that we have enjoyed is the mercy of God. And so when God asked us to show mercy towards others, it should be of no consequence. It should be a no-brainer. But we resist it. And when we, we resist it, it's because we have forgotten. There's another example I want to share very quickly here this morning. And that is, you know, my mind immediately goes to Luke chapter 10. And, and, and this is how Jonah should have responded. First of all, it should have responded like Abraham. But also remember, Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a good Samaritan. You know the story. Many of you know the story, right? There's a, there a story of a, a man and Jesus is intentionally making the Samaritan the hero of the story for the people that he was telling the story to, the Pharisees there. And so he was, he was saying, you've got to Remember, there was this tremendous animosity between Jews and Samaritans during this time. And so Jesus tells a story where there was a man who was on a path and he was beaten. And it was a notoriously dangerous path and, and he was beaten and he was robbed and he was left for dead. And, and people walked by and there's a couple of people walked by, religious people, things like that. But then there's a Samaritan who walks by and he stops and he, uh, he 
helps this person. And so the Samaritan, he stopped, and, and, and he's obviously in a spot that is dangerous, right? Okay, you know, there, there's literally a body count on this path, right? And so he stops there, and he, and it's in, in, in of no regard to his own personal safety, he says, I'm going to help this person. And he gives of his own goods. And, and he, there's nothing in Luke chapter 10 where you can read the story. There's nothing that gives any type of, of uh, indication that this man even, the Samaritan, even asked for repayment. He just gave what he had. And then to furthermore, he talks to the innkeeper there and he says, uh, I'm going to give you an open line of credit basically. And so whatever you have need, to t- whatever you need to take care of this guy, you, you need to do that. And then when I come back through here, I'll settle the debt, okay? Now, I want you to think about the ramifications of that. Think about, like, if you just give someone that you've never met before, and you give them your credit card, or you give them a check and you sign the bottom of it, and you say, look, here's the deal. Um, you do whatever you think is necessary to care for this person, and, and then I'll pay for it. How many of us would feel comfortable doing that? We would feel terribly uncomfortable doing it because we know that the chances of, ex, of being uh, taken advantage of are extraordinarily high. And yet this Samaritan, this is what he actually did. And if anyone had reason not to help, it would be the Samaritan because of the animosity. But you see, the Samaritan in Jesus' story didn't see a Jew on the side of the road. He saw a person on the side of the road that needed help, and he helped. Do you know what Jesus said at the end of that parable? He looked at them, and he says, go and do likewise. You see, this is what Jonah's problem was is that, that he, he didn't see himself as someone who needed God's mercy. He didn't see himself as someone who God has been so abundantly kind, toward, and, and kind towards and said that he didn't deserve. And so he was very stingy with what God had given to him and his mercy. And so the question as we looked at this first half of this message here is, do we only obey God when it makes sense? Do you have that right? Do I have that right? And the answer is no, we don't. You know, for those of you who've had children and you're trying to teach children, you never allow the children to have that right with you. If they don't understand something, that's not, that's not the reason for them not to obey. You may explain it to them or everything like that, but, but just because someone doesn't, a child doesn't agree with your decision, that doesn't mean, oh, okay, well, you're right. I won't have to, you don't have to do that now. We don't do that. But yet we try to do that with God. Do we see ourselves as someone who desperately needs God's mercy? You see, Jonah didn't, and that was his problem. Do we see others as enemies or people whom God loves and wants to show mercy towards? I I mentioned earlier today that I think our country is in the most divided that I have seen in my lifetime. And I know I'm not extraordinarily old, but I have been around long enough now to at least see different phases, okay? And let me tell you, I don't think anyone here who's older than me would disagree with me. I don't think that there's people here who have lived more, more generations and more decades than I have would agree or would disagree with me that we are a very divided nation right now. Our churches are divided. It's a terrible, terrible time right now for anger and for, for God, uh, for the enemy to, to wreak a lot of havoc, havoc here. But what the world needs is a church 
that is unified around a common hope in Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. And the only way that we're going to do that is, and the only way that we're going to show love towards other people, the only way we're going to have unity is if we see ourselves first and then other people as objects of God's mercy. And so that person that is just annoying the snot out of you on social media, they are objects of God's mercy. And you may need them to follow people for your own sanity. That's fine. But do you pray for that person? Do you ask God to help you love that person? Do you, do you interact in a conversation with God and say, you know, this person is someone who you love, you created, they are image bearers. And so while you know, we're having a difference of opinion on this and we may have different ideas on this, whatever the issue is, I still love this person. I want to love this person because you love this person. This is someone who you want to show mercy towards and so I should show mercy towards because you have shown me great mercy. Do you see how all this, what Jonah was dealing with, it, it, it smacks us right in the face today, right where we're at. So, two reasons why Jonah ran, or we run from the mission of mercy. It's a dangerous calling, first of all, is because our personal pride is assaulted. But secondly, and I, and I won't take a ton of time with this one, but, but personal safety may be compromised. And we live in a time where personal safety is of utmost importance, utmost importance. And so when anything is asked of us that might compromise that personal safety, it is like huge warning bells go off and huge roadblocks apart. And I'm not advocating recklessness. I'm not advocating, you know, okay, so here, here's, if you're taking the application right now in your mind saying, ah, okay, great. Pastor Jeremy says I don't have to wear my seatbelt when I drive in the car anymore and I hate wearing seatbelts, you know, then you've missed it. That's not what I'm talking about at all, okay? All right? I'm not talking about recklessness, but I'm talking about this idea of personal safety. When we follow Christ and we follow God's mission of mercy, personal safety may be compromised. What do I mean by that? I told you I was going to talk about Nineveh here for a few minutes, and let me just describe Nineveh for a second. Archaeology has confirmed uh, the, what the Bible teaches and kind of alludes to here about Nineveh. It talks about the wickedness of this group of people called the Assyrians. It was, Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. And they were well known in the ancient world. It's, it's not, it is well known in the ancient world for their brutality and their cruelty that they showed towards their enemies and towards people. Um, there was uh, one ruler... Uh, one of the things that he would do is like when they would capture people, he would make a point to, to uh, remove the person's hands and their lips from all their, their victims. Another one uh, would take the skin off of their victims by flaying them alive. And another one, they would just make huge piles of uh, the skulls and bones of people that they conquered outside as an intimidation tactic. And so this was not just a, a group of people. This was not like getting the, the, the message for Jonah, the, the mission to go there. This was not like going to, you know, the, the local chapter of the Girl Scouts, right? Okay, this was not Jonah thinking, oh, great, I'm going to get, you know, uh, uh, some, some cookies while I'm there, right? Okay, no, this, this was a dangerous mission. And, and I don't think that that was the primary reason why Jonah didn't want to go, but it definitely had to play a role in his thinking, right? It definitely had to play a role in it that the mission that God gave Jonah might mean, it, it meant that there was possible suffering or death. And so Jonah here is saying, how can that be good? 
I mean, these are people who would just as soon kill me as listen to me. And so how can that be good? And so that had to play a role in this. And you and I, we are called to live in a way that we are not guaranteed that God will preserve our personal safety all the time. When we go and we follow Christ, he often asks us to do things that are difficult. And he often asks us to do things that would be considered dangerous by other people. When you travel uh, to other places and when you you interact with other people and you share message with people that don't want to hear, there could be consequences to that. How can that be good? If God's asking me to be on this mission of mercy, it means that I may get hurt. It may mean that I may be rejected. It may mean that there would be my physical safety be compromised. How can that be good? Well, I'll tell you, the mission that God gave Jesus meant certain suffering and death. You see, that's our example Yet Jesus went because he was thinking of God's glory and our good. And so when we, we follow the mission of mercy that God's given to us, we, we don't necessarily look for danger. We don't necessarily look for ways to be persecuted. And it's okay to leave that, as Paul showed us at times. But we have to understand that the life that God is calling us to may involve difficulty. It may involve some suffering. And it may involve persecution. It may involve physical harm. And in fact, if you read the New Testament, it's, it's almost, in fact, the, the majority majority of the way it's written, it's not that it may happen to you. It's like when you suffer persecution, it's almost like that this will happen. That's what Jesus is providing, uh, preparing us for. But yet, Jonah didn't want to embrace that, and often we don't want to embrace that. And yet, and yet, the one who gives us hope is the one who accepted suffering, accepted death. And so, we think, well, of course, if, 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 God, if God didn't spare his own son, then, then surely, then if he's asking me to do something difficult, it's not unrealistic. And, and so we don't have to question the goodness of God if he asks us to sacrifice, if he asks us to give up our health, if he asks us to give up uh, our comfort for a while, if he asks us to do something that is difficult where our personal safety may be compromised. It, it, it's not unreasonable for God to ask that of us because he didn't spare his own son. And so when we realize that God did not spare his own son for us, we know that he never intends to harm us. Therefore, the need to completely understand God's plans before obeying him or the need to secure personal safety before obeying them becomes obsolete because we know what Christ has done for us. So we're talking about how personal safety may be compromised, and we see this here in this with the storm, right? We see the use of storms here. God brings up this wind in verse 4, and that's really the majority of what chapter 1 is about, is them enduring the storm that God brought up. And so God's using this to accomplish his plan. And I think there's just two things that we can learn from these storms as we start rounding the third base here and head for home in this sermon here as we bring it to a close. God's use of storm reveals his sovereign hand. You see, what he's doing here is he's accomplishing his plan and he's using the storms to do that. We look at storms as something that's chaotic. We look at something that there's no control in. We look at something that there's no uh, anchor point in these storms. But yet this text 
shows us that it was completely in God's sovereign control and plan the entire time. And so life circumstances that we often find ourselves in feel chaotic like the storm. They feel like there's no anchor point. They feel like that we're just being tossed back and forth. But the reality is what we find ourselves in today is in, sovereign, in God's sovereign hand. I, I, was, I was talking to someone before the service here, uh, and uh, I, we were just talking a little bit, and I said, you know, one of the struggles I have is, is that as a pastor, I always want to be setting vision of where we're supposed to go and the next thing. And right now, it's really hard for me to know. It's really hard for me, because every time I get an idea of where I think the next vision or, or next step in a vision uh, path that we should go, uh, rules change and uh, opportunities you know, change, and, and it's really difficult for me. And that's something that God has been working my heart of, not being irritated with and not being frustrated with. And let me tell you, some days are good, some days are not bad on the irritation scale in Jeremy's life, okay? All right? Some days there's much more, God, thank you for bringing me through this and what you're doing. And there's a lot of days of, God, forgive me for my stinking attitude, okay? Right? Because we feel like this is chaotic. We feel like there's no anchor point. We feel like it's just being tossed to and fro, just like Jonah's storm here. But the reality is, is that God shows us here that he's in control of this. I mean, as soon as Jonah's cast into the sea, boom, the storm stops. God was in control of this. I think of another story. New Testament, Gospels talk about it. You know where I'm going. Jesus, also in a boat, also sleeping in a boat. Being woken also by people who are straining against the storm. People who are panicked, just like in Jonah's case. Jesus has awoken, and they say, don't you care? And he says, what? Peace be still. And the wind stopped, and the waves stopped. Everything was calm. Everything was smooth. And people were amazed, and people worshiped. The sailors, they didn't bargain with God. They didn't say, if you stop the storm, we'll worship you. Did you notice that? God stopped the storm, then they worshiped him. You see, God's in control of the chaos that we find ourselves in right now. He, his sovereign hand, has not weakened at all right now. And we are going to see, let me tell you, we are going to see that when this stops and when they're ceasing, whatever that looks like, I don't even know what that looks like, the end result should be worship and greater worship. And so that's the path we're on right now. The path we're on is leading us to greater worship and greater glory to Jesus and greater glory to God. And so if we understand that that's the path we're on, we're on the path of a mission of mercy here through this, that gives us hope and that informs then some of the decisions that we make. And no longer it's about just day-to-day decisions and individual following rules and restrictions and mandates and all that stuff. No, no, no. We have a much bigger purpose than that. And a much bigger purpose is following God's mission of mercy and worship of Him. And so we can follow restrictions with joy then because this is not our end goal. Our end goal is worship, not just getting through the day or getting through the storm. And so we can trust God because God's use of storm shows his sovereign hand. But secondly, as we're getting close to the end here, God's use of storm reveals his priority of mercy. Did you notice that? that, that you, we can see the great lengths that God goes to to show mercy to the Ninevites and to Jonah. 
He is going through great lengths here. It's much more than personal pride. He, he, he says mercy is much more than making someone feel uncomfortable or, making, or ensuring that they feel comfortable all the time. He assaulted Jonah right where he was at. But it was more important than personal property as well, right? The ship and the cargo and all that stuff. God says, I don't care that we lose the cargo. I don't care that the ship is ready to break up. The mission of mercy is more important than that. But so many times we look at this story, but man, and the thing that we take away from this, it, 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 well, let me, let me say it this way. It would be tragic, and you would probably find someone missing the entire point, that if they read this, and they finished the book, and you say, well, what would you think about the book of Jonah? And they said, you know, I just feel bad for all those people that lost the cargo. They lost their stuff. I really feel bad for them. You would say, Okay, but that's not what it's about, right? Okay, but so many times we get so focused on possessions and personal stuff and and all this that we're missing the big picture. We are here as recipients of God's mercy, if you are a believer in Christ, to share mercy and to share that message and to participate in the mission of mercy. That is why we're here. We're not here for cargo people. That's not why we're here. So Jonah teaches us this. I like what Tim Keller said about this. He says, one reason for storms in our lives is to get us to depend on God and to discover his love and strength in ways that we never would do otherwise. I mean, these sailors, had they not gone through that storm, if there's no storm, there's no verse 16. When it says, they feared God exceedingly, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. If they didn't go through the storms, There's no verse 16. You see, God used that to bring them to this point. And God uses difficulty in life and the circumstances that we find ourselves in that are uncomfortable and irritating at times and confusing at times. This is a storm meant for good. As one person said, this is a storm of opportunity. And we can find God's love and strength in ways we never would have otherwise. John Newton, the author of, he's best known for the writing Amazing Grace, that old hymn. Uh, he was a, uh, a seaman himself. Um, he was involved in the slave trade, and then God convicted him that saved him and, and all that. And so he was someone who understood that he received God's mercy. And he says this, he says, suffering now prevents greater evils later on. He says the suffering they would go through in this life and right now, the difficulty, that is preventing greater evil from later on. If we follow Christ is the implicit message there. What are some of these greater evils? You know, how would we ever, what, what would it be if, if we never became aware of our blind spots? We, we never became aware of our pride or the folly of self-sufficiency. And the list could go on and on. But God sends storms into our lives, uncomfortable moments. When someone says, you know, you're not handling this right. Or you know, this is, uh, you're really showing a lot of pride here. Or all these type of things. That could be, because people can be wrong, okay? Uh, but that could be a way that God is bringing a small storm into our lives so that we keep us from greater evil later on. It's like Romans, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. God deals with us like sons, right? 
And so the storms that we find ourselves in, they're meant for good, they're not meant for evil. Let me give you this illustration, then I'll bring you to a close. There's an old fairy tale of a witch that lives in a cottage deep in the woods. When travelers would come through the woods, according to this fairy tale, they would look for lodging, and she would offer them a place to stay and something to eat. And where she stayed, it was the bed that they had. It was the most comfortable bed they'd ever felt. You know, you, some of you have experienced that. Maybe it's at a hotel or something like that. And you sleep in a bed, and it's like, this is the most comfortable bed ever. Okay, this was this witch's bed in uh, her uh, cottage. But you see, the problem was she was a witch, according to this fairy tale, and it was a bed full of deep magic. And if you were asleep in it, when the sun would come up, you would turn to stone and then be part of her collection of stone figures. And so there was a young girl who the witch forced to serve her, and though she had no power herself to resist the witch, the girl became more and more filled with pity towards the victims of this witch in the forest. One day, a young man came looking for a bed and a place to eat, and he was taken in. The servant girl couldn't stand to see this handsome young man be turned into stone, and so she put sticks and stones and thistles in his bed, and it made the bed horrifically uncomfortable. Every time he turned over, he felt there was a, a new pain uh, uh, jabbing or, you know, in a side or something like that. And, and though he would cast each one out when he would find it, there was always a new one to dig into his flesh. And so he slept terribly, and he rose super early in the morning just feeling tore, worn and tore out, uh, 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 weary and, and worn out, uh, long before the sun came up. And he walked out the front door, and the servant girl met him. And he said to her, how could you give a traveler such a terrible bed full of sticks and stones? And he went on his way. Ah, she said under her breath, the misery you know now is nothing like the infinite greater misery a comfortable sleep would have brought upon you. Those were my sticks and stones of love. You see, God does that. We want ease, we want comfort, we don't want storms. But because God is all wise and all good, they are storms of love. And either God has suddenly changed his mind on that with what we're currently finding and what he's currently asking of us, or we just need to believe that about him. And so, we've seen in this first chapter what lengths the God goes to in order to show his mercy. The sailors, the Ninevites, nor Jonah deserve God's mercy. Yet we see God's effort to accomplish a mercy, a mission of mercy, rather. So, God has called you to a mission of mercy. Do not run from it. Don't run from this mission of mercy that God has called us to. You say, well, how do we do that? A couple ways. One, we run from the mission of mercy when we depend on our own understanding rather than the plain teaching of Jesus in the scriptures. And we also run from the mission of mercy when we fail to see others as objects of God's love and mercy. So God's called us to this. Don't run from this mission that God has called you, but also God has called us to mercy 
And maybe there's someone here who's listening right now or in the room here with me. who they, You've never experienced the mercy of God. You, you still think you have to earn your way to heaven. You still think that you have to live a good enough life where God will somehow then say, okay, you're good enough now. And the reality is you can't, and I can't. We need the mercy of God. Don't run from that. Don't run from that. But even those who have experienced mercy were often tempted to go back to a life of trying to earn God's favor or to a life where we disregard God's mercy. And we run from mercy when we keep going back to what will not satisfy in hopes that it will eventually satisfy. And we also run from mercy when we think storms, when we think of storms as, when we see storms as God's punishment to push us away rather than efforts of love to draw us closer. That's when we're running from mercy, when we say, how dare you do this to us? How dare you cause the economic downturn of like this? How dare you cause the health of us? How dare you? So my life is now difficult and, and, and I have these, my rights are being infringed or whatever. How dare you do this to us, God? Rather than seeing it as this is a way for God to make his church stronger and to make our country see that there is a hope within us that cannot be explained because of God's mercy in his storms of love. Let me give you some homework and then we'll pray. Let me encourage you this week, read through Jonah, the entire book. Like I said, I think it's like, what, 48 verses or something like that. doesn't take long. Read through it this week and highlight every example or effort of God's mercy. Okay? Just read through that and look for examples of God's mercy. Second thing I would encourage you to do, pick one or two people that you have unfollowed on social media, which is another way of saying who have people who are irritating you right now, okay? And pray for them every day this week, Okay? Ask God to help you see them as objects of his love and mercy rather than merely sources of irritation. Okay? You say, well, I'm not on social media, so I get out of this. You understand what I'm trying to say here. Find one tangible, thirdly, one tangible way to convey God's mercy to someone this week. Okay? Think about, pray about, how can I show mercy to someone? And understand that typically that will involve a sacrifice on your part. God's mercy to us involved the greatest sacrifice ever. And so whatever God asks us to sacrifice is really of no consequence. So God's deep mercy in the book of Jonah. Next week, we're going to look at this theme as it continues while Jonah is in the belly of the fish. God's deep mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can look at this first chapter in this first section Lord, I pray that we would, uh, we would treat other people the way you have treated us of love and grace and mercy. I pray that we would not forget what you have done for us, and I pray that we would not run from the mission of mercy. I pray that we would worship you in a greater way this week as we remember once again, remember anew the great mercy that we have received from you. Lord, I pray we'd worship you. Thank you for storms that you bring our way, storms of love. We don't enjoy them. The sailors didn't enjoy it. No, J- Jonah didn't enjoy it. But it was for th- their good, their eternal good. And so when we get to heaven, we're going to see sailors who are going to be very grateful for that storm of love. And I pray that we would see the storms that we go through in the same way. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.